1: Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position by position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Locked on Dolphins, hosted by Travis Wingfield, your daily podcast on the Miami Dolphins. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team. I'm
0: in town to play the Dolphins, you dumbass.
1: What is up, dolphins fans, and welcome into the Tuesday, October the fifteenth edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. I am your host Travis Wingfield, and as always, I am here to bring you your daily dose of Miami Dolphins football. And on today's show, we'll revisit the aftermath from Sunday's loss in Miami. Snap counts, player grades. Interesting developments for the roster going forward, plus I'll unload the rest of my notebook from the weekend and we'll hear from a Dolphin scout on this year's quarterback class. All of that and more, but first... Before any of it, I kindly invite each and every one of you to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Tuned In, Spotify. We are top 200 on Apple Podcasts, top 100 on Spotify. Let's keep that going. Once you do that, leave us a rating, leave us a review, and give me a follow on Twitter. It's at Wingfield NFL. Voted the number one follow on Dolphins Twitter, by Dolphins Twitter. Follow the show at LockedOnFins. We'll follow you back. And check out LockedOnDolphins.com. I have my college quarterback scout. Report up from the weekend. Jason Harina has his week six What Went Right article. I've got the aftermath and the game recap all up on the website to keep you guys covered through this tough, tough season. Let's go ahead and jump right in. So we're going to get into the snap counts and what all the data from Sunday's loss means in the second segment of the show, but I had some extended thoughts that I didn't have time to get to on yesterday's podcast regarding this team and where they are going forward. So let's just go ahead and jump right in position by position or point by point, I should say. And the first one, these are things I tweeted about on Monday, like the quarterback battle going forward. For instance, I think we've pretty much resigned ourselves to the fact that neither of these quarterbacks will be starting opening day 2020. And so now you ask yourself, are they battling for the right to be the backup to a a Tua Tungavailoa or Justin Herbert or whoever it might be? And if they are, who's winning that matchup right now? Because I've contended that you want Josh Rosen in this room for his up. Upside for the fact that he's cheap and he's young and he could provide a long-term stabilizing force at the quarterback position. And maybe down the road, he offers you some trade value in return to a team that needs a quarterback to start in the future. But Ryan Fitzpatrick, where he had his strengths was the ability to grasp the offense, to teach the offense, to have the experience for the young quarterback to lean on and come in and get the rookie quarterback prepared to play, which I think we all would agree he would do a better job of that than Josh Rosen was who for the first time in his life right now is IDing middle linebackers he's consistently late on his reads we talked about that and we'll get to Rosen's charting project either on this show or tomorrow I'm not quite sure just one yet but Ryan Fitzpatrick is more on time he's more in rhythm and that should serve the younger quarterback better as Fitzpatrick has more experience to lean on so do you want to keep Fitzpatrick next year for about 10 million bucks you've got the money to do it or do you keep Josh Rosen who you only owe about 4 million dollars over the next two years? Do you try to spin him for a draft pick? I think Miami has a tough decision on their hands. And of course, we have 11 more games to get to to give us more evidence to make that decision. But I think that conversation has to be had now and down the line in three months. At the receiver position, Albert Wilson came back yesterday and played about 38% of the snaps, give or take, and he did not look like the same player. We'll talk about his five catches on six targets, but for just 15 yards, his game is about short area quickness and explosion and making guys miss. You look at the way he's built in his lower half. The guy has tree trunks for legs, and that's why he has that great balance and contact balance through tackles and breaking tackles and making big plays after the catch but that hip injury has been a slow crawl back and I'm not doubting his long-term prospects of getting back from it but when is that going to be next season when the Dolphins owe him eight million dollars but can get out of that contract without any penalty I don't see Wilson having a future on this team because of that hip injury and it's a damn shame because he was the most exciting player On this Dolphins offense to watch last year and now because of one injury it seems like the best part of his game could be gone another receiver Devontae Parker I'm talking about his long-term staying power here In Miami we thought he'd all would we all thought he would get cut coming into this season but instead he signs a two-year contract extension and he remains ultra cheap for the Dolphins next season and his production right around half percent catch rate but I think I blame most of that on the quarterback play he's made some big plays the touchdown catch on Sunday was a very impressive catch down around the knees running full speed on the sprint I think Devontae Parker could be wide receiver four here next year and maybe a guy you rely upon for depth In the receiver room going forward. On the offensive line, I'm just gonna be blunt about this. There isn't a viable tackle on this team. The Dolphins are gonna have to go out and find two starting tackles next year, and I do think a couple of these guys could serve as swing tackles or backups. I think Isaiah Prince is a great option for the sixth heavy offensive lineman. He came into the game on Sunday and did some of that. I think Jesse Davis could be a good swing tackle option as well, but as far as starting talent, It's just not there right now, and the Dolphins are going to have to go into free agency and the draft and get that thing fixed next season because those are two glaring holes on this roster right now. The Dolphins need much more pass rush as well. I don't think anybody would contest that, and wherever it comes from. You watch the Jets and Cowboys game on Sunday. Tony Romo pointed out the Cowboys pass rush and how the league is going to more games, whether it's stunts, twists, slants, trying to generate rush through the scheme more so than one-on-one pass rush prowess. And how much did we talk about this this offseason with this particular Dolphins defense? Of course, the Pats were the first one to start doing this in the league. And Miami is trying to do it. They're trying to replicate that scheme. They just quite frankly do not have the personnel. Charles Harris he sure as hell is not it. It seems like his time in Miami is coming to an end. Jerome Baker has proven to be a total liability in that regard. He's not getting anything done as a pass rusher and as much as I love Raquan McMillan, he's just not a blitzer. Sam Egwavon can't do it. Vince Beagle is the only one that has the makeup to do it on the roster right now as he led the team in pressures on Sunday. We'll get to that in segment number two and maybe his former bad your teammate and Andrew Van Ginkle can be the other guy that provides that spark when he comes back from the injured reserve. But the Dolphins, whether it's a defensive edge, a linebacker, interior pressure, they have to find a way to get more pass rush presence on this roster this coming offseason. And we all know this team has needs all over the roster, but I contend that these are the most pressing issues as I have for months now, it seems. Quarterback, secondary play, they need a safety that can come down and cover in the slot and play all over the field. It seems like McCain's trying that, but he's not the best suited for that type of role. They need a do-it-all type safety slash cornerback hybrid player. They need that. They need quarterback. They need offensive line. I think they need more playmakers on the offense. They need more pass rush. The needs are plenty. The good news, Miami seems to be altering their plans and trying to find out which guys can stick this season for the roster going forward. This evaluation season continues and we get some more answers by way of the snap count plan on Sunday's game against Washington. We're going to go over that next and all the key metrics from Sunday's loss. But first, the folks at Roman, a men's Health Company are changing the game with Roman swipes, the secret to longer lasting sex. Get ten dollars off your first order of swipes and free two day shipping at getroman.com slash locked on NFL. Getroman.com slash locked on NFL.
0: Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements?
1: One play short, two yards short, and one point short on Sunday as the Dolphins fall to 0-5. and We have the aftermath for you guys right now up on LockedOnDolphins.com. Check out all the snap counts, all the key metrics from that defeat at home against Washington, and putting the Dolphins back in the driver's seat for the first pick in the draft. We'll discuss that in segment number three, but let's go ahead and get to the stats from this game on Sunday as the Dolphins, for the first time this season, can kind of step back and avoid... The the all-time historical futile comparisons that they have drawn to the worst teams in NFL history. Now, I'm not saying this Dolphins team is not the worst team in the history of the league. They probably still are, but it was nice to see them compete and put a little bit of energy into the game on Sunday and almost come away with a win, but not quite do it. They held Washington to just 13 first downs, 311 total yards, and an 18% conversion rate. Case Keenum, although he had two touchdown passes, was Just 13 of 25 for 166 yards. That's good for just a 6.64 YPA. The NFL average for points per drive is a smidge over 2.3 ppd and washington scored 17 points on 12 possessions that is an average of 1.42 points per drive a nice fall from the league average the dolphins defense currently ranks 25th in yards per carry allowed but 31st in rushing yards per game and the pass defense is dead last in yards per pass but 26th in passing yards per game the offense an unmitigated disaster to this point Five straight games, zero 300-yard efforts from the offense. The Dolphins passing game averaged just 5.05 yards per pass and committed two more turnovers. Despite running the second fewest plays in the league, only three teams have taken more sacks and one team has thrown more interceptions, the Cleveland Browns, and the Dolphins 2.6 yards Any slash A, which measures the efficiency of the passing game, charting all dropbacks, even sacks, is a full 1.1 yards worse than the 31st ranked New York Jets, 2.6 to 3.7, Miami way behind in that category, and the Dolphins are 31st in rushing yards per game and 30th in average yards per carry. The snap counts for the game on Sunday, Josh Rosen played about two-thirds, 49 snaps, good for 64%. Ryan Fitzpatrick came in, played the final 27. At running back, despite starting Mark Walton, Kenyon Drake, for the fifth straight game, took the lead role for all running backs. He had 46 snaps, that's good for 61%. Mark Walton had 32 snaps, that's good for 42%. And Kalen Balazs played just four snaps on Sunday. I think the writing is on the wall there for him. At the receiver position, Preston Williams and Devontae Parker both played 67 reps, 88% each. Albert Wilson had 29 reps, and Alan Hurds had 27 reps, and Isaiah Ford rounded out the group with nine snaps on Sunday. Mike Gesicki, 44 snaps, that's 58%. Durham Smythe, 27, and Nick O'Leary, 19. That has been the case now for a few weeks. On the offensive line, the Dolphins get through this game once again unscathed, although Dan Kilgore missed one snap to end the game. Jamarcus Webb, Michael Dieter, Evan Boehm, and Jesse Davis all played all 76 snaps. Shaq Calhoun came in for the one snap for Daniel Kilgore, and Isaiah Prince got nine reps as the extra offensive lineman. The Dolphins allowed pressure on 15 of 43 dropbacks. Michael Dieter and Jesse Davis allowed four each. They led the way. Although all four of pressures from Davis were hurries, and Dieter had two sacks and one hit on the quarterback. Not a good day for the rookie. Jamarcus Webb, Mark Walden, Mark Walton, and Josh Rosen were all tabbed with a sack allowed from pro football focus, and both of Evan Bames' pressures were hurries, while Daniel Kilgore almost had a perfect game. He allowed just one hit in pass protection. But run blocking, a different story for Kilgore. He was at the bottom of the offensive line group, and Isaiah Prince, that sixth lineman, came into the heavy formations he graded out at 49.1. All these run-blocking grades were below league average. Michael Dieter was the best for the Dolphins, according to Pro Football Focus. We talked about Josh Rosen's statistics and how bad it has been, and it has just been awful for him. We detailed the mechanical issues in yesterday's podcast, but the stats are really damning. League worst and passer rating, total QBR, touchdown percentage, completion percentage, yards per attempt, and second to last an interception percentage only better than Baker Mayfield. He is playing really, really poorly right now. Devontae Parker and Preston Williams both had horrendous run-blocking grades on Sunday, and their respective catch percentages continue to struggle. Even though Parker caught three out of four balls, his season catch rate is 48.1%, and Preston Williams, who caught two out of six, is 48.6%. About half the time they get targeted, they catch the football. And Wilson, we talked about this in the open, six targets, 15 yards. That's just not going to cut it at all. On the defense, the Dolphins' snap counts. Taco Charlton led all defensive linemen with 55 snaps. That's 93% of the team snaps on defense. And Devon Gotcha, an interior defensive lineman, we used to praise Ndamukong Sue for doing this. 49 snaps, 83% of the workload. That is a guy you want to sign long-term. Christian Wilkins, 40 snaps, 68% total. John Jenkins had 20, and Avery Moss had 18 snaps in the game on Sunday. Linebackers, Vince Beagle cut into some workloads this weekend. Jerome Baker went down from about a 90 plus percent player to only 81%. He played 48 snaps. Vince Beagle had 41 snaps, 69% and second among all Dolphin linebackers. quad McMillan was next with 30. Sam Aguavin, 19. And Trent Harris had 13 snaps in this game. Eric Rowe played every snap, all 59. Ken Webster was next among cornerbacks with 44. That's 75%. And Jamal Wiltz, the slot, played 33 reps, 56%. Nick Needham had 29 snaps. Chris Lamonts, 14. And at safety, Bobby McCain missed one snap. He played 58, Rashad Jones played 44, that's three quarters, and Stephen Parker had 18 with Walt Akins playing five snaps in the loss on Sunday. As far as production goes, once again, Rayquan McMillan led the way. He was part of nine tackles and four of those were run stops within two yards of the line of scrimmage. He was in coverage for just three snaps, rushed the passer three other snaps, and played the run on 24 rundown snaps. I think we know what he does well at this point. He missed zero tackles. He has one missed tackle for the season, including 29 successful tackles. So he's one of the best tackling linebackers in the league right now. One of the best run defending linebackers in all of football. Jerome Baker, that's not the same case for him. He's better in coverage. He did not allow a target or reception, obviously, on 18 coverage reps, but he only made two tackles, one of those a run stop, and had just one pressure, a hurry, on eight pass rush reps, not getting a lot done going forward, doing better going backwards in coverage. Vince Beagle, his promotion comes at the expense of Sam Aguavin, who's played horribly through four games. Aguavin goes down to about a 30% player. Beagle gets in there for 60% and leads the team in pressures and QB hits. He had three pressures and two QB hits. He made four tackles and was not targeted in four coverage reps. I'm going to get a look at Beagle, Gesicki, Isaiah Prince, and Evan Bame this week. Those are my goals, my evaluation spots, as well as Christian Wilkins, who stat sheet was pretty bare on this one. He made one tackle, had a pass batted down, and he had one pressure as a pass rusher. Taco Charlton, he basically took Charles Harris's job the last couple of weeks, and it looks like the writing is on the wall for Harris a 55-12 to 12 split on the snap count. And Charlton had two hurries on 24 pass rush reps and three run stops on 28 rundown snaps. He's played well since coming over from Dallas. Nick Needham led all Dolphins defensive backs in his coverage grade. In fact, his 88.0 score was the lone blue mark in elite grade from Pro Football Focus this week. Washington targeted Needham three times and had zero completions. He broke one of those passes up. Bobby McCain was next in coverage grade, though he did have two missed tackles that prevented him from a sterling grade in this game, and he did allow 46 yards on five pass targets and one touchdown. Three of Rashad Jones's eight tackles were run stops, and Jamal Wiltz only allowed eight yards on four pass targets. There is more detail available on all this information and from the game on Sunday up on LockedOnDolphins.com. The Aftermath... Dolphins 16, Washington 7. But real quick, before we go over to the final segment here, I want to visit Jason Harina's article, our staff editor on Lockedondolphins.com, my right hand man. He writes an article every week about what went right because normally Jason gives you kind of the perception or the perspective of, well, maybe things can go poorly in this way. Well, now he's kind of flipped that script and he tells you the things that went right in a tanking season where it's difficult to find those things. His first column or his first item in the column says, winning the number one overall pick as you guys can all I'm sure assume he talks about how Miami puts themselves in the driver's seat for that first pick and then as far as on-field performance he talks about not saying a player's name doesn't necessarily mean that player did not play well and he goes in on Christian Wilkins who I contend has played well despite not filling up the stat sheet this season. Zero sacks zero quarterback hits, zero TFLs and nine solo tackles he does have reps where he's moving guys off the football and Jason explores that a little bit. His next point, greener pastures for Kiko Alonso and Vince Beagle that trade they made seems to be working out very very well as Kiko is a backup now in New Orleans and Beagle is getting pressure on quarterbacks and playing more and more reps each week for Miami and more greener pastures for receiver Devontae Parker who I know this is a bad comparison because his season or his career stats rather have not been impressive but in the midst of a tank season where nothing's going right offensively Parker is on pace to have his second most receiving yards of his career by a slim margin 732 projected yards compared to 744 yards in 2016 and the most touchdowns of his career projected for 7 compared to 4 in 2016 they're finding more ways to get Devontae Parker the football and maybe be finally getting some production from the 2015 first round pick. His next segment talking about running backs and local product Mark Walton, who has been a pleasant surprise as he is averaging 4.4 yards per carry and 8.25 yards per reception so far this season. So again, check out that article up on LockedOnDolphins.com. What went right in week six from Jason Harina. He writes that article every single week. You've got my game recap from Sunday. You've got the aftermath piece from today. And you've got the college quarterback scouting report from the weekend. And coming up next here on the podcast, we're going to talk about some comments made from a Dolphin scout on the quarterback class. We'll do that next. Locked On Dolphins podcast at Wingfield NFL at Locked On Fins. There's one thing we can get enjoyment from this season. It is tracking where the Dolphins wind up in this year's draft, as it's all about next season. And tracking the other teams around Miami threatening to take position atop of the NFL draft in 2020. And we are tracking this up on LockedOnDolphins.com, the Miami Dolphins Tank Central draft pick tracker. We cover each pick the Dolphins currently possess and where their chances are to secure the number one pick, which if you go to ESPN's Football Power Index, the Dolphins have an 89% chance right now to earn the number one overall pick. This comes from Cameron Wolf's Twitter. He's at Cameron Wolf. Last year through week six. Arizona had the highest chance of obtaining the first pick in the draft, and they were at 33% last year through six weeks. So the Dolphins on the fast track to execute the plan properly, and we look at the rest of the Dolphins opponents they have to deal with for this first pick. We talked about it on the podcast yesterday. The Bengals go home for the Jaguars at the Rams by a week. They could enter week number 10 winless, which could be a problem for Miami still, but then they go home for the Ravens at the Raiders, home for the Steelers, home for the Jets. I think that's the sweet spot to find a win for the Bengals home for the Steelers and Jets. Then they go to the Browns, then they're home for the Pats and then of course the Tank Bowl, the big game of the year, week 16 in Miami against the Dolphins and then week 17 they end at home against the Cleveland Browns. Washington has an even tougher road to hoe. They have the 49ers at home that's not going to happen they go to the Vikings they go to the Bills before their bye week so just like the Bengals it seems like Washington will go into the bye week without any more wins giving you an idea of how important it was for Miami to not get that W on Sunday they then host the Jets and the Lions they're at the Panthers and Packers home for the Eagles and Giants and at the Cowboys Frankly, the only two games I think they even have a modicum of a chance on that schedule are home for the Giants and home for the Jets. But I still think this team probably goes 1-15, maybe 2-14 and at best. We have the rest of the schedules for the Steelers and Texans up on that column as well. The tank tracker and currently the same FPI projection that gives the Dolphins the first pick also has them with the 14th pick from Pittsburgh and the 28th pick from Houston. I don't agree with that Pittsburgh projection. Obviously, both of their wins were against horrendous performances. The Chargers gifted the Steelers 14 points in that game and still almost won at the end. But regardless of it all, the most important thing is that Miami is on track for that first pick to get the quarterback, to change the franchise, to change the course of this organization forever. And to go back to Tony Romo's comment about the defensive stunting and twisting games to finish up this topic, he mentioned Sam Donald's return to the Jets offense, who was absolutely brilliant in the first half of that game against the Cowboys and that big upset win. He takes an offense that could not move the ball at all under previous quarterbacks like Trevor Simeon and Luke Falk and what does he do he comes in and beats a pretty decent Cowboys team with his performance in that game Romo talked about special quarterbacks and how they make everything different and if you have the opportunity to get a special quarterback you better not pass on it because they are the quickest way to get back into relevance in the NFL just like we saw with the Jets 0-4 and to all of a sudden 1-4 and now with their quarterback back in the building. Okay, I teased this throughout the episode. Now we'll finally get to it. I had a great conversation with a Dolphin scout the other day, and I'm not going to give you all the nitty-gritty details. Some of that will stay between he and I, but we did talk about the quarterback class, and I want to just go ahead and run through some of these notes on this quarterback class. He mentioned that Tuatonga Vailoa is a special, unique talent, not just in the way he plays, because he agrees the touch, the timing, the accuracy is all great. We can all see that every single week, but he believes that the way he is smooth in and out of his operation the way he improvises off schedule and has that calm demeanor and high character in stressful pressure situations is what really sells him. He thinks the way he goes over to the sideline and interacts with his teammates, the way he interacted after that interception he threw in the end zone in that game on Saturday, the way he approached Jerry Judy and gave him kind of a slap on the head and said, hey, that's my bad. I made the mistake. I'll get it corrected. The confidence that he he exudes from his personality, from his character, the way he puts it onto the football field. He is a, quote, special, unique talent. Although I don't think he's Andrew Luck, I don't think he's ready-made where he can go boom, boom, enter the league, and just come in and do his thing. I think he's a notch below Andrew Luck, but a special talent indeed. End quote. So that's how they feel about Tua Tonga-Vailoa, and of course, I asked him about the rest of the quarterbacks out here on the West Coast, predominantly, between Herbert and Jacob Eason and Jordan Love. He thinks that all three of these guys have first round starter traits with the arm. Eason and Herbert have top-shelf arms. Jordan Love just one notch below that. The athleticism of all three of those guys have been granted from God-given ability is fantastic. They have the size and the length you want. Jordan Love, not to make excuses for him, but losing all those weapons and the offensive coordinator believes that he is forcing things right now, doing things he didn't do last year, allowing things to snowball, making the same mistakes. He would come back last year from poor decisions and not make those mistakes again, but he thinks he's doing it this year. And that trait alone makes us believe, he and myself, that Jordan Love is no longer a guy you insert into day one and expect him to light it up. He's going to need some time. The same is true of Jacob Eason, and both of us agree, the more we see of Eason, the less impressed we are. He has everything you want from a physical stature, but there's just something missing, the natural feel for the pocket. That's why I took him off my quarterback list, to be quite frank. I took him off because of the consistent need to retreat against pressure, and one of the great things that scouts do is they'll talk to opposing coaches that defend these players, and talking to opposing coaches said, if we just force Jacob Eason to play quarterback, he's not going to beat us. Don't blitz him. Just hang back, and he'll beat himself. So, I think you can cross him off the list pretty effectively. And then just Herbert has all the stuff, that first round talent. How good is he in the upstairs cerebral department though? He thinks he has a good enough memory. If he makes a mistake early in the game, he'll self-correct it, but he can play too cautious at times and try to be overly protective of the football and not take chances and not drive the ball, even though he can tight windows. He plays a little bit too conservative. And then Jake Fromm, a backup talent, but championship level and talent intangibles. So an interesting dynamic there between he and the rest of this quarterback class. And so just to kind of put a pin into all of this, I've heard from other scouts, other podcasts, whatever you want to say, that maybe the Dolphins prefer Justin Herbert or somebody else. I've got it on other authority that Tua is indeed very special, the best in the class, and not that far off from Andrew Luck. I have some more notes from that conversation on Preston Williams and some other scouting ideas and tips. We'll talk about that later on this week, but I'm going to go ahead and get out of here for this edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast. You all please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Check out the other Locked On Sports family of podcasts for all the local and national coverage of your favorite teams. Give me a follow on Twitter. It's at WingfieldNFL. The show is at LockedOnFins. Keep up to date on the Daily Dolphins blog over at lockdowndolphins.com. You guys have a great rest of your night. We'll talk to you again tomorrow for another edition of the Locked On Dolphins podcast, your daily dose for Miami Dolphins football. Fins up.